welcome to the Milestones, Motivation, and Money podcast, a weekly conversation filled with stories of business, financial literacy, careers, leadership, and resilience. Setting and achieving goals is key, whether they are related to your finances, business, or career. I hope to empower you with these conversations no matter where you are in life. I'm your host, Angel Radcliffe, and on this show, get ready to change your mindset and start your journey to achieve your lifelong goals. So if you need a little motivation to start your day or jumpstart your next project, tune in and be sure to join our community online at milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, we're discussing motivating business tactics. And we have a very special guest who's worked with some big names in the industry. Andrew Cordell. So he is an author, international speaker, real estate investor. You may have seen him speaking with names such as Kevin O'Leary, Gary Vaynerchuk, and even Grant Cardone. So some really big names and big influencers in the business. Uh, We're going to chat about business finance and motivation, everything that this show is about. I am loving this conversation because Andrew is super transparent. He definitely comes from humble beginnings. He's not afraid to share that. And you're going to hear a lot of that in this episode. So all the way back from his uh, upbringing to his first business to his first million dollars. And we're going to get into some of those financial literacy topics as well, seeing as how it is financial literacy month. So let's go ahead and welcome Andrew to the show. Angel, thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here and hear more about what you're doing because it sounds like you have an amazing backstory. So really excited for my audience to get a chance to understand who you are and learn more about your show and the things that you're passionate about. Sure. I love the name of your show. It it kind of represents my whole life. I think summed up in three words, maybe. Right. (laughs) But of course, today we're going to talk about a little bit of two of those topics, maybe all three. So But how about you go ahead and give us a backstory of your upbringing and what led you to what you're doing today? Yeah, so I grew up in a, from Atlanta, Georgia is where I was born and mainly raised. And I grew up, both my mom and dad are school teachers. And I grew up in a, what you would call a lower income um, household. You know, we, a great family, mom and dad were married and, and had I'm the oldest of four and great home life, loved everything about it, wouldn't trade it for anything. And, but of course it did not have money. You know, there was many times we were on food stamps or a, a WIC. Um, WIC was a big thing at our house with kick cereal and government cheese and growing up. And from there, I ended up going to a small college in Chicago to become a teacher. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And as I got to college, I realized, man, wait a second teachers are not making that much money. There's a reason we never had that much money at the house. And so I shifted and, and went into entrepreneurship and started my first little company in college, which was just a window washing company of commercial buildings. And started at my end of my freshman year. And by the time I graduated, we were just at a million dollars a year of window washing. And that's what really launched my entrepreneur bug, if you will. And from then on, I just kept growing to the next business, to the next business, to the next business. Now I'm, you know, partners in a billion dollar empire. There's 23 different companies, a thousand employees, and we do all kinds of different businesses right now. And a lot of that's just because I, I kept investing in my brand, which is a thing if you want to talk about, we can, but I just kept investing my brand over and over to build a brand and build the relationships, which kept open doors for me, which is how I end up partnering with these my partners now. 
and it's been a great ride. I, I love entrepreneurship through and through. Wow. So there's a few things I want to touch base on there. First, very transparent about your upbringing. So many people would not let you in to know those intricate details. Or of course, you know, no one, no, I'm not going to say no one. Everyone didn't grow up with a silver spoon in their mouth, but there's some people who really try to shadow those bad things that have happened in their life, or maybe they didn't grow up in the proper settings or they were on government assistance, but you openly share that, which I think is amazing. And when you talk about you know, your vision of going to be a teacher and then having the realization of, wait a minute, they're not making any money. It sort of reminds me back to my first job <laughs> of college. Yeah. We have this vision of like, we're going to make so much money. You're like, wait a minute, the real world just slaps you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you went to school in Chicago and I'm actually from Chicago. So uh, my neck of the woods. So what school did you go to up there? It's a little bit of Christian college kind of on the South side of uh, Chicago called Hiles Anderson College. Okay, nice, nice. So good old Chicago. And when you left Chicago, Mm -hmm. what was like one of the first goals that you can remember being on your list? So that's a great question. When I graduated, one of the first goals that I had, I I said, okay, when I graduate college, I'm not going to know everything there is to know about real estate investing. I'm not going to know everything about flipping the house, but I'm going to have to just go buy it and do it. And it is what it is. If I, if I fail, I'm going to fail forward. If I succeed, I'm going to succeed even, even more forward. And so when I graduated college in May and June, I literally had a house and a contract and bought a house at the very end of June, beginning of July. I bought my very first fix and flip house and bought it, fixed it up, sold it in 90 days and made more money than my mom made all year long as a teacher. And I remember bringing that check home. When I closed on the property, they said, you want us to wire you the money or you want a check? And of course, I've never seen a check that had that many digits and comma in it. And so I was like, no, no, I want the check. I want to see this thing. And I, I remember I called my family and I, I said, hey, I'm bringing food home for dinner for everybody. And I showed them a check. When I got home, I showed it to them and passed it on the table. And it was an exciting time for all of us. But that was the goal that I set as soon as I left college as I buy my first house. And I did. Wow. That sounds really exciting, especially the part where you're talking about passing the check around the table. It's like, have you ever <laughs> seen this many digits before? Yeah. And you know, that, that brings up a good topic, but you know, as far as like understanding the value of money and investing and things of that nature. But before we, we get into that, when you think about starting a company, you started your, your window washing business, and then you got into investing, who actually taught you about business? Were you self-taught? Did you have a mentor? Can you give us some more insights on that? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So obviously I would tell you that I, I, I'm going to use this word, but it, it needs context around it. I would tell you that I'm self-taught. However, there's always people, I don't believe that like you hear people say I'm a self-made millionaire. And for me, I don't believe that's true. I believe that everybody has help from someone from help, whether it be, it could be a Sunday school teacher when you were a kid that, that just kind of guided you in the right direction of whatever it is. But I think everybody has help from somewhere. And so, although yes, a lot of my business was self-taught, there was always people and guidance and people I would try to network and lean into and ask them questions. And when I got enough money, I started to hire coaches and consultants and trainers because that's, for me, looking back at my 20 plus year career, that was my fastest way to grow. 
was I could either try to self-teach or, you know, everything that I know. And, and really every entrepreneur is always learning uh, and studying and trying to grow. If you, you know, talk about self-teaching themselves, but the real maximum accelerator to your business success is, is finding a business um, coach, business consultant, someone who has been there, done that, and you can pay them. And, and as long as it's a good relationship, you should be able to gain an insane amount of expertise, knowledge in whatever field you're trying to get through that con coach or consultant to, to expedite your growth as a business, right? So as soon as I had money, I started hiring coaches. I have coaches this today. I still have coaches that I pay and I meet with and I sit down with and I open up and say, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm failing at. Here's where I don't feel like I'm succeeding. What do you see? And, and coaches or, or mentors are extremely important to your success as an entrepreneur. Oh, absolutely. And I definitely agree with that point to where we don't know everything. And sometimes when you're starting a business, you are wearing all these different hats and trying to do a multitude of things. And you have to really come to that agreement with yourself and have that self-reflection and saying, okay, I don't know everything. I'm going to not only invest in a team, but also invest in a mentor and coach or someone who can guide me, someone who's already been where uh, I am or have taken those steps that I'm walking through the, through that path. Right. And uh, sometimes people are stubborn, especially as entrepreneurs, because you're like, this is my idea. And I don't want anyone to steal it. <laughs> or there's, there's so many reasons why, why people choose not to. And I think one of the biggest ones is aside from the stubbornness is money. Sometimes you don't necessarily have the money right away to invest in yourself or invest in your business. And so, you know, going back to that check that you were passing around the table, Tell us what you did with it. I'm interested to know. Yeah, for sure. So again, me as an entrepreneur, and everybody's different, but for me as an entrepreneur, once I realized, okay, wait a second, I can buy this house, I can fix this thing up, I can then sell this house, and I can then get this check at the end of it. My brain immediately said, okay, well, how many can I do? If I can do one, can I do two? And if I can do two, can I do four at the same time? Can I do eight? And once that, once my brain clicked into that gear, it was wide open nonstop. And from about, that was around 2004, that time frame right there. And from 2004 to about 2012, I was doing real estate, buying and fixing houses and rental properties and all kinds of different deals. And, but I ended up doing over a thousand houses in that time frame in those eight years, which is over a hundred houses a year, basically on average. So once I had that money and I saw the opportunity and I said, well, if I can do it once, how do I rinse and repeat? How do I create an efficient system, a process checklist uh, system that will allow me to scale this and, and make 50 of these checks a year versus one of these checks a year. And again, I'm gonna go back to, I have buddies and friends that, you know, it, they, they would do three houses in a year and they're very happy and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I wanted a lot more. I wanted, I wanted to reach, reach to the stars. You know, I wanted to make a difference for what I was trying to do. So for me, it was never about three houses. It was, how do I do 300 houses? Uh, and so that's what I do with the money. I doubled down, put the money back in my company, put the money back in my, invested it re right back into myself and exploded the company growth. Wow. And, you know, being 
so young and, and having that mindset to invest the money back versus spending, that's really amazing. And it shows some of that, maybe just strength that you had and knowledge and maybe insights from other people. I don't know, but just having that resilience to not go out and buy something fancy as most young people do. And then they have the hindsight and they say, oh man, I should have invested the money or I should have done something else. So I think that's pretty amazing. And you talk about, you know, investing in various things and investing back into your brand. And that's how you were really able to become successful. What other things did you start to do after the real estate investing? Well, what happened with with the real estate investing was as um, I got more and more successful with it, you know, in my area, my local market, I became kind of popular, if you will, in different groups and meetups and so forth you know, they would hear about me and friend to friend know, and they'd start asking me to come and speak and teach on it. And Hey, can you teach this? We have 50 people. We have a hundred people. Can you come and teach? Can you share this? And so I started speaking about money and wealth and how to create it in about 2012. And I, I, one thing this, that I would say is maybe a, a strong gift of mine is I have, I always try to find the opportunity with, with people, with companies, with the market, whatever it is. And I, I pursue those. And so I just kept meeting more and more people and figuring out more and more about the speaking kind of circuit. And I don't know, maybe within six months, maybe less, I got invited to come speak at the National Real Estate Investors Association, which was held out in Seattle that year. And so I flew out to Seattle and made a presentation to a room of, I don't know, maybe 300 investors. But each of those investors, for the most part, were, were running their own local kind of club, if you will. And so I got on speaking. I was in the back of the table that, that we had there. And, and my calendar is right when iPads were kind of coming out. And my calendar, my iPad was slapped before he left, was absolutely full. Every, every week I was somewhere speaking around the nation at that time. And when I got into kind of the transition from, for probably about two years there, I kept doing real estate investing and I kept speaking and I hired a president of my real estate investing team. And I was on the road a lot and which kind of from a 30,000 foot view, manage it. But I got, I started speaking a lot and kept going and going. And as I became better at it, if you will, eventually I got recruited by an international uh, company that had heard about me and came and heard me speak. I didn't know they were in the room and they recruited me and said, Hey, we, we have these international and national events that we put on for business owners and where someone comes in and teaches entrepreneurship, teaches real estate investing, teaches about money. And we'd like to see if you'd be interested. And so I ended up going out to one of them and they, they brought me out and showed me around. And I ended up taking my first speaking gig with them to see how it went. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And so from about 2000, that was probably about 2014 ish when that all happened, I went full-time speaking. And I ended up selling off all my houses that I was flipping, kind of faded out of that business. And then from 2014 to 2020, I was on the road every single week. I was on the road in some state or country. I spoke in 22 different countries, all 50 states. And I would go teach about money and entrepreneurship and mindset and investing. And I did that for 2015 to 2020. I did that. And if it was, would not have been for COVID, I would still be doing that on the road. We became the number one speaking team in the, in the world. Wow. And, you know, it, it goes to show the importance of saving and just being prepared for things like that, where you don't know what's going to happen next, especially in business. 
And it sounds like that you have that mindset to where you're able to really move on to the next thing or having a few things going at once. So I want to, I want to move it along, but I, but I want to hear, it's like your story is so interesting. (laughs) I'm over here taking notes. I think some people are probably like trying to put pieces together. You know, when we tell stories and we've had so many things happen in our lives and all these events, people start to piece together and like, well, how old are they? (laughs) I was going to say, you don't have to share your age, but, but that's what tends to happen. You know, when you have so many experiences in life, because if you think about it, the average person doesn't have all of these amazing experiences. So many people will you know, they get a job, they, they either start a business or they go to college or um, they keep that same business mm-hmm. until they retire. Or, I mean, I know people who've been at the same job for 15, 20 years and I couldn't imagine. And I'm like, how in the heck do you stay at the same job yeah. all of this time? You know, you don't want the excitement or the change. And then you have the people who I like to consider anomalies, like yourself, myself, so many other people who do a multitude of things and we're constantly changing. We're constantly evolving. And you have those experiences and you failed and you succeeded and you have the stories to tell, but it's, it's amazing. Like when I'm sitting and I'm listening, I'm like, what? Because I know what people are thinking, <laughs> but yeah, we won't air your age. We're not going to air your age. So, but yeah, just to speed it up just a bit. I know you're doing some amazing things right now. Uh, you have a podcast called the money is show. And how did you come up with that name? The money is. It's a great question. So when I was traveling and speaking on the road, you know, of course, what I was talking about was wealth and money and how do you, how do you create it and how do you get it you know, when you're starting from ground zero, really? And one of the big things that I noticed from teaching was people in the, in the, in the audience, week after week, as I was talking to them and listened to them, and it was as though they, they wanted money but they didn't actually know why they wanted money. You know, when you asked them, it was very a surface answer. It was like, oh, I want financial freedom. It's like, okay, but what does that actually mean? Like, what, what do you mean you want financial freedom? Like, what, define that. Like, what, what, what does that mean to you? Or he was like, I, I mean, I want to take my family's vacation or I want to I want to buy this certain house or I want, I, I want to do this. And it was very um, surface level. And at that point in my career, I... I knew how hard entrepreneurship is and I know how hard it is to go, you know, living off of WIC and, and to having money. And I knew the struggles that people are going to face. And so that's when I started saying, listen, if you want to achieve wealth and you want to achieve money from being a first generation entrepreneur, right? Not a second generation where your parents can teach you all this stuff and they have this business and they have all this stuff. No, no, no. I'm talking first generation and you got to go out and, and carve your own trail. One thing that you have to understand is what the true definition of money is to you and why you truly, truly want money. What does it really mean to you in life? Because if you just say, um, I want financial freedom or I want um, to buy this house, what happens is entrepreneurship is too difficult. It it is filled with problems and headaches and struggles. Um, And so if you don't know your true North star, if you don't know your true reason of why you want money, then when tough times come and they will, it, it tends to, you will quit very quickly as those times come be, and you'll go back and get a, a job and say, okay, I'm just going to take this job and pay my bills right now. And so when I created the money is show, it was money is blank, right? There's the, the kind of the show. And so I would start asking people, let's have a conversation of what does money mean to you? And if you watching my shows, 
they're all uh, in person and it's kind of a studio that we have uh, like a kind of like a Dave Letterman set. And at the end of the show, I have a sign built for everybody with their photo on it that says money is blank. And they have to answer that question, what money means to them. And then they sign it. And so it allows us to have authentic conversations about the true meaning of money. And there's different meanings for different people. And they're not all the same. But I started this show out of a need of trying to get people to think through why they actually wanted money. Like, what is the real reason? Let's go deeper with that conversation so you can understand it. So when tough times, your, your, your drive or your motivation is much bigger than your failure or your fears. But if that, if that, if that why or that North Star is not clear or it's not bigger than your fears or your failures, then when you come across fear or doubt or questioning yourself, or you have a failure or a setback, uh, you'll quit because your why isn't big enough. So that's why we started this show. So you've had some big names. And I know before the show, we were chatting about some of those people you've had on. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I think it's really good when you are able to build something that you like to do, you're passionate about. And then at the same time, you're building a network. I love podcasting. And I I always tell people it's such, it's like a thrill. It's something different from your day to day. And some people look at it as a hobby. There are some people who've monetized off podcasts and it's their full-time job, Mm -hmm. but you know, I love the networking aspect and just meeting different people and hearing their stories. Give me the two top things you love about being a podcaster. Well, again, for context, my podcast is, um, live in person. And I'm always interviewing high level, high successful entrepreneurs, right? So in that context, I would say the two things I love about podcasts the most is number one, the amount of people that I'm able to meet and connect with and learn from and create impact in that, in that person's life. I like that creating impact and learning from your guests because this goes back to to earlier when I said we don't know everything and so I I love that as well just learning different things and you may find out just one tidbit of information you didn't know before that can really help you yeah. align with your personal business goals uh, you know the one thing we do have in common is is the money topic and sure. just going back to basic financial literacy outside of money as it relates to business uh, it's not a topic that's that's taught Right. And it can affect so many areas of our lives. So our personal lives, our careers, our lives, if we decide to start a business. And I always think about why is financial literacy not taught in schools? Because I, I feel like it's, it's a life skill that you need. And you know, it's amazing when I come across people who are 50 years old and they've lived this life, but they still don't know how to manage their finances. And then people who are younger, who are wanting to get out here and start a business they don't really understand how those two components go together, right? If you don't understand your personal finances and you can't manage that, I always say, how can you manage the finances of a business? And so, you know, when you think about financial literacy and the impact on our society of people really being uneducated of that, on that topic, what comes to mind? Well, you could dive deep into it, right? And, and I agree with you that financial literacy is not taught inside of schools. And, you know, there's probably a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons is honestly, and this is hard, you know, maybe hard to hear, but the truth of the matter, people that when you don't, you have not accumulated wealth and a high net worth for you to go teach about that concept is crazy. It, it makes no sense because there are rules to the game of money. 
And when you don't understand what those rules are and you haven't created wealth, you haven't achieved high net worth, then to go out and and, in a school setting, let's say, go out and then teach others how to go create net worth and how to go create financial success doesn't make any sense. Like, wait, 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 what do you mean? Uh, How are you teaching me financial net worth when right now you you you're only talking about stuff if you read in a, a book that's uh, that's a possibility but you don't actually know if it's true or not it, and so it, that's one reason that i think that teachers don't teach it and, and again i'm saying that coming from a teacher's background with parents that were teachers they were very educated in their topics of history and science and whatever it may be but not money that was nothing they were at all understood or familiarized familiarize themselves with the other, the other thing about money that, you know, people say that there's three or four topics that, that we as humans uh, don't talk about in public a lot. One is religion, politics, um, sex, and money are kind of the four things that people don't talk about um, very often. I would tell you, though, that in my career of all of it, money is the one that's least, I, I think that money is the one topic. I mean, when is the last time you got together with your friends? And see, when you're with your friends, you guys may talk about politics if you you know you like that and and you enjoy the topic and 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 you may talk about what's going on in in federal or state politics because you guys enjoy it and you'll talk about it with your friends you may talk about religion if you think about some of your friends right now and if you're a religious person when you guys go out you guys may talk about what's going on at the church or whatever it is the pastor or whatever's going on you guys are comfortable talking about that sex is one that not as many people will talk about however I will tell you this, that most of the time when girls are with girls and guys are with guys, they're way more free talking about sexual type stuff in in hangout conversations. But if you stop and think about for a second, ask yourself, when is the last time you went to dinner with a group of friends and at the dinner, you guys all went around and said how much money you have in your savings account right now and how much money you make per year and and you know how much how much do you have inside of your 401k right now and what you would find is most people have had more conversations about religion politics and sex than they have ever had about money with their own friends so you got to think about this if we're not supposed to talk about money and even with our closest friends we don't normally talk and actually have real authentic conversations about it where are we supposed to learn about money? How are we supposed to learn how money works? If our family doesn't talk about it, our friends, we don't talk about it. So how do you learn about money if no one's talking about it? And and it creates, honestly, it creates generationally poor families because one family, it's a non-topic. They don't discuss it. So they, they don't talk about it. Therefore, the children don't ever get to learn about it. And because they never learn about it, they're not comfortable talking about it with other people. And they've never even mentioned it at their household when they're growing up. And so they never talk about it. So how in the world are people supposed to learn about it if they don't talk about it? And part of the Money is Show was just trying to get people to understand, look, it's okay. You can talk about money. It's, it's not, matter of fact, if you want money, I promise you, you are going to have to talk about it. And if you refuse to talk about money, you're just there's no reason for you to go down that road of trying to get money because to get money, you have to understand how money works. Well, to understand how money works and the rules of money, you are going to have to have conversations about it. So if you don't want to talk about it, you're not going to learn it. If you don't learn it, you're not going to have it.
Andrew, you hit the nail on the head. And, you know, as you were saying, if those conversations don't take place, it really leads to that misconception about money and it goes through each generation. And you know, I, I like to think back to when I was a kid and of course we, we know about money, you need money to buy things, but I never understood the power of money and saving and investing. And I just saw my parents working and we're working to pay bills. We weren't working to save. And I had that mindset growing up. It's like, you know, when you are getting your, your first car, your first apartment, it's finding a job that's just going to pay you enough so you can pay the bills, not thinking about, oh, I'm going to have extra money. Oh, I can have extra money. I can save. I can invest. And it took so long for me to grasp that concept because it was never talked about. It's never discussed. No one really had any 401k plan in my family and, or even knew about investing in the stock market or so, you know, I, I do think yeah, if those conversations aren't had, I agree with you. It, it just goes down until someone breaks that generational curse and it's so sad. And I'm always pushing for the topic to be discussed in schools and, and poking around and, and going back to what you were saying about having those conversations with friends. I don't even think that friends have money conversations, uh, right. maybe now more than 10, 15 years ago, I, I'd say a little bit more now, but if you think back 10, 15 years ago, people were not sharing their salaries. People would just have a, they have a thought in their head as saying, all right, I assume this person makes X amount because they drive a nice car. They live in a nice place and yet several people who are living above their means. So you may have thought that person was making six figures and they were probably only making $30,000. I know I'm laughing because when I first moved to Dallas, you'd see people who were driving BMWs and Jaguars and Range Rovers. And I know my first job when I moved here, I was making maybe $45,000 and people at my come to work with these amazing luxury cars. And I'm like, how much money are they making? I'm like, they must be at a higher level than me. Well, Dallas was known for home of the $30,000 millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that, but there's so there were so many people here that were living above their means. And of course, you know, the cost of living here was super cheap and uh, we don't pay state taxes, but you'd have people who weren't making any money, but they would drive these luxury cars and live in these gigantic homes. <laughs> and it, it, when you think back, I remember having conversations with some of those people, they just did not have their finances in order. They weren't saving money. They were, they wanted the flashy. They wanted the the nice things now and for show, but it's really sad when you think about the overall uh, percentage and detriment that not really teaching that topic, how it goes into our society. Yeah. It, it trickles down to our society and it trickles down to our families and our kids and our grandchildren. And, and, you know, if you look on the other side of it, <clears throat> the equation for a second, those families that talk about money and, and they, 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 they have money and then they talk about money and they're, it's an open conversation in their family. Okay, well, now follow, follow those generations. And for the most part, on both sides, but on the most, when you have a family that is, talks about money and acknowledges it and talks about how to use it and what, how, do you, how do you maximize it, those families normally generationally have money and then more money and then more money and more money. And it's the exact opposite. When you have families that don't talk about it, they have less money and less money and less money and less money until someone, and again, in a broad stroke, that's how both sides of it work until someone on the generationally poor families break. Like you said, I love the word that you used there was breaks the curse of, of money and says, okay, I'm going to restart this. I'm going to reboot 
our family generation of how our family generationally looks at money. I'm going to go create wealth and then I'm going to teach all of my family going forward. And we're going to reverse the role of our financial financial wealth inside of our family. But it, it takes someone that wants to break that curse to go do that. And that's a lot of work for a first generation person. Oh, it definitely is. And, you know, I will say I, I'm a first generation college student and I'm one of the first people in my family to make six figures, to do so many things, to own a home. And you know, I try to, to look back at people in my family and my siblings and, and help them get to a certain place and talk to them about money and credit and investing. And it takes so much work because that mindset was ingrained for so long and they're not used to certain things. And so I can definitely say it's, it's a struggle, but I've been able to get so many people on board and helping them understand, all right, this is what you do to, you know, get this credit card. And once you've kind of built up your credit and you paid your bills and you've been responsible and, you know, go for the next one and get your American express and keep your balances low. And, but it's almost like you become the source for the entire family (laughs) to lean on, but it's really interesting, but, you know, hopefully there's so many other people who have that same mindset and can break those generational curses and, and help change the world and lean on some of the younger people and help them have that mindset from at a young age. So when they grow up, they're like, well, I know not to do, <laughs> do X, Y, Z, take out a bazillion student loans or rack up credit card debt. So and that's what it takes. It takes someone that, that's willing to stand in the gap for their entire family and, and be the bridge for a lot of, a lot of families and, and in their, in their people, in their family. And it is frustrating. I was the first one like you. And one thing I've learned throughout the time, if I could help anybody listening right now, when it comes to money is if you really get into the mental side of things to understand your conscious and subconscious brain and how they operate and work together, it's one of the biggest, most powerful breakthroughs that you could have when it comes to understanding um, your potential. And for most people at an early age, we were, we were, our brains were programmed a certain way and it wasn't by our choice. It was just because we were in an age of our life being six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, that our brain was wide open. It was like a cracked coconut and just absorbing and taking in anything that was around us because that's where we are in life at that, at that age. And during that age time frame right there, most people that grew up as a kid, myself included, I was programmed to think of money as negative. I was programmed um, to hear phrases from my family. And we say them jokingly now looking back and, and, you know, we can say things now like, you know, money doesn't grow on tree and, and money is evil and um, wealthy people are taking advantage of people. And we hear all these different words that are being used by, you know, my, my, my parents, but many, many parents at a young age, I was in, subconsciously programmed with that data. Therefore, moving forward, there's a big, big barrier that people have to get through. They will try to go create money, become wealthy, but they will hyper actually subconsciously struggle with it and never get to the point they actually want to get to because internally they're having a massive struggle because the way that their brain is programmed right now is that money is bad and and money is evil and those that have it are not good people. And, and if you have money, you're selfish and you're greedy. And because your brain is programmed that way from a young age, subconsciously, you will always stay there. Your biggest thing that you have to, and that's why people will get money and then lose it. They'll make some money and they'll lose it. They'll make some money and they'll lose it. Or, or they can never get to an actual point of wealth. They can make some money, 
they can get a little bit of money, but they can never get to the next level of like, oh man, hey, we're, we're, we are, hey, we're at the multiple multi-million dollar level right now. And part of the reason is because internally they are programmed that that is bad, it is not good. The biggest thing you could do is reprogram your software of how you view money. And until you reprogram your brain on money, you will always, always struggle on doing one of two things, never getting to where you actually want to get with money, because even though you understand a little bit of it, subconsciously, it will always control you. Your subconscious mind is way stronger than your conscious mind. And or number two, you'll get money and then you actually self-sabotage your, yourself and lose it. And then get money, self-sabotage, lose it. Get money, self-sabotage. And it's, you never get to actually grow with money. You have to reprogram your brain when it comes to money. Definitely. And, you know, I, I always say it's all, all about your mindset and I'm a huge believer of affirmations and, and really like writing down like those things that you want and visualizing them. And I think the same thing goes about anything in life, especially money changing the way you think about it. So a little bit earlier, you heard me say, the only thing I knew was that we had to work to pay bills, not work to save. But once I changed my mindset and I was like, okay, now, if I'm going to work and when I get paid, instead of going to pay my bills, what if I start paying myself first? What if I start putting money in my savings account, making sure I'm investing and maxing out my 401k? And then, you know, let's worry about the bills later. <laughs> not saying that they're not, they're not important, but so many people just have that, that mindset of like, wait, I have to pay this bill. I have to pay that bill. And, and there's so many financial gurus out there that tell people that you should pay down all of this debt before you know, making investments, which I don't agree with. And I'm like, you have, if you change your mindset about money, your life will be so much better. You'll feel so much more confident about it. And it's, it's proven with so many people that I've worked with, but. Well, gosh. some people have a, some people have a offensive mindset when it comes to money and some people mm -hmm. have a defensive mindset. And I, yeah, I was getting ready to say that. Yeah. It's perspectives. I'll say, yeah. I'll say it that. And, and I think those perspectives come from your experiences. For sure. And what I would tell you is if you start dealing with the. Uh, 1% of the 1%. So actually, it, it, this is as bad as it, I don't want to come across this bad, but to get into what we call the 1% of wealth in America is not actually that difficult because the starting line for the 1% is last year was $469,000 was the starting point uh, of what's classified as the 1%. And I know that number sometimes for people is a very, very large number. But if you understand business, the, the country we live in, the opportunities that, that we can create, the internet, how the internet has changed the game, social media has changed the game. Now we have NFTs and metaverse. There, there is endless opportunities to, to create money in our, in our society. But if you get into the, not just the 1%, but the 1% of the 1%, I'm talking, if you get to the really, really high end levels of money, I guarantee you, they're all offensive mindsets. They are not defensive. Every single one of them is offense, offense, which means it's not about what you were talking about. And I agree with you. It's not about, let me go pay off all the debt that I have. Let me go pay off everything that I have. Let me go pay off my, my mortgage for 30 years. Let me go pay off everything. And then I'm going to start uh, trying to invest. It's not, that's a defensive approach um, versus an offensive approach. And if you want to play that game, it's your life. You can do what you want to. But if you want money and understand how to create wealth, it is not that way. That is a scarcity mindset. The other side has an offensive abundance mindset. 
well, the people that live in the other society that kind of we were talking about there where it's like all scarcity and um, the only way for me to get ahead is is pay everybody off and then I owe nobody nothing in life and now I can do this. That's a that's a very selfish approach into your entire um, financial situation. If if your only objective is to um, pay yourself off and be able to retire one day, that is one of the most selfish things you could ever do with your life because the other side of that is an abundance mindset that says. I'm not here to create money so I can go retire. I'm here to create money so I can make a difference. I'm here to create money so I can change the world. I'm here to create money so I can change my family, not so I can pay everything off one day and, and, and have enough money to, to, to live when I die. What a, to me, what a horrible freaking mindset to live under. What a, what a negative approach to life. What a selfish approach when there's so much more you could accomplish and achieve in life if you change how you view money. But we're taught the other way. And, and I'm hundred percent against the other way. Again, if you're gonna go do it fine, but you will get zero help and support from me because I don't believe in any of that. I, I really like how you laid this out, the offensive mindset, defensive, and, and then, you know, thinking from that space of abundance, I, I love that. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about the people who have this mindset of, you know, they use cash only. They don't use credit cards. And I, I've come across so many social media pages where people are just saying, don't use credit cards. They're the worst. And I think, you know, that goes into that offensive defensive mindset as well. Some of those people have, have probably been, I'm not, I'm not going to say victim. They probably inappropriately use their credit cards. So ran up the credit card debt and we're only paying the minimum and they got hit with all of this interest. And then they finally got out of debt and they said, I'm never using a credit card again because they weren't responsible with it. <laughs> but, you know, perspectives and life experiences really make a huge difference in, in how we live our everyday lives and how we think about money and how we think about being a business owner. What advice would you give someone to take steps to change their mindset? One would be stop listening to Dave Ramsey. And I have nothing against Dave as a, as a person. I think he's a very good guy and nice guy. And, but he's the godfather, if you will, of all this, uh, pay off all your money, live below your means and, and slowly get enough money to you. You can retire one day. But if you go back and understand psychology and understand where that came from, you know, where that came from, it came from his experience of mismanaging his own money failing, losing everything. And because he went through that massive catastrophe in his own life, he has then turned around and said, okay, in my life, so that I never have to experience that again, I'm going to go the opposite of all of that. And I'm going to make sure that never happens to me again, because I never want to feel that level of defeat. I never want to feel that level of losing that I had then. So I'm going to go the exact opposite and make sure I never lose again. That's where all this stuff is coming from. Again, it's because of the experience that he went through. And then he averted to the far other side of it and said, I'll never do that again. Here, here's a unique thing. In 2008, I lost everything that I owned. The market crashed in real estate. I lost everything. I went through 14 foreclosures. I lost my personal house. My wife left me. I, I, my bank account was cleared out. My cars got repossessed. And I had to move back in my mom and dad's basement in 2008. Okay. So look, I could have went to the Dave, Dave Ramsey approach of like, okay, well, to make sure that never happens again, I'm going to go in and, and make sure that I never ever use a credit card again and make sure that I never use leverage and buy uh, real estate again or buy a business. I, I'm going to pay cash for everything. That, that is a, a, a byproduct 
of someone who does not who mismanaged their money. And because they mismanaged their money, it put them in a scenario that they did not want to feel like that way again. And so they said, I'll never do that again. I'm going to go do it the opposite of that. I'll do cash only. That's all that is. That's where all that is coming from that Dave Ramsey is teaching right now. And now he has people all around this nation. And this is not a Dave Ramsey attack. I mean, I'm not, I, I never met the guy and nor do I um, think he's, he's an evil person by any means. But I'm just telling you, this is where the teaching, the philosophy is coming from because he mismanaged money. Okay, when I crashed in 2008, I could have looked at that and said, oh, well, I crashed in 2008. I, 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 I mismanaged my money. So instead, I'll never go through foreclosure again because I'll only buy a house in cash from here on out for the rest of my life. That's not what I said. I said, okay, I mismanaged my, my money. I mismanaged my credit. I mismanaged my, my leverage ability. I mismanaged those things. That's nobody's fault but my fault because I didn't understand enough about money. I didn't revert back and, and go into this hole of uh, um, negativity and scarcity. I said, let me learn from how I mismanage my money. Let me learn from my mistakes. Let me learn. Let me open up and be super vulnerable to everyone around me so I can learn from this and not do that mistake again. But once you learn the rules of money, then growth is abundance. Growth is, growth is changing the world. Scarcity will never make a difference. Scarcity will never change the world. Scarcity will never change anything. will change everything. And it's, it's how you view it. It's your perspective of mindset. And again, go back to all of this. It, this isn't some training that, that was started in our society because it works. This is a training that, that was birthed out of mismanagement of money. So because he mismanaged money, he has now created a system so to make sure that he never mismanages it, so no one else will mismanage it, so that he'll never feel that way again. Okay, that's, that's where it's all coming from. It's not coming from a, a point of success. It's not because he got to the top and then said, let me show you how to get to the top. It was because I was at the bottom and let me show you how to never fail fail again. I'm not, I'm not in life to play this game to hopefully not fail. I'm playing the game of life to succeed at the highest level that I possibly can. Does that mean I'm gonna have some bumps? Yes. Does that mean I'm gonna have some setbacks? Yes. Does it mean I have some failures? Yes. But at the end of this day, at the end of this life, when I'm it's all said and done and I close my eyes for the last time, I want to have lived life at the highest level that I could possibly achieve and make the biggest difference that I can make in this planet. Not live under a rock of scarcity and, and try to eat freaking powdered milk so it's going to save me $2 this week that I can pay off my $2 more on my credit card because I don't understand money. Okay, saying all that, I went off on a soapbox there, but that was your message for me. <laughs> I wouldn't say a soapbox, but you know what? You mentioned Dave Ramsey and I was like, I wasn't going to mention his name, but... <laughs> And, and again, I'm not trying to attack Dave. I have I have no ill will towards Dave. I have no animosity towards Dave. But me and him believe two separate lifestyles. Me and him believe two different viewpoints. And and he, just as much as uh, he attacks me, not in a personal manner, but every time he does his podcast and he he pokes fun of people who um, use credit cards and he he calls us that we're all idiots and we don't understand anything and we don't understand leverage and risk. You're making fun of, you're, you're literally, I don't say making fun, but you're attacking how wealth was created. That's what you're attacking. It's actually the dumbest thing I could possibly think of. I'm looking at my wall. I know you can't see this right now, but on my wall, my office, not the wall behind me, but the wall in front of me, there are massive, massive old school entrepreneurs, original autographs that are all have gone on and passed away. Walt Disney, Cornelius Vanderbilt, John D. Rockefeller, JP Morgan Chase, Andrew Carnegie. Okay. All these massive entrepreneurs. 
that that literally were entrepreneurs that were uh, helping um, build and 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 drive America as we know it when it comes to the industrial age and so forth. Inside of that, none of those people were taking Dave Ramsey's approach. They were all willing to take a risk, take a chance, leverage what they had, and put their put their money on the line. But that's also how they created who they are right now. That's also why right now I I pay massive amounts of money to have a certified authentic autograph and photo of Andrew Carnegie. Why? Because he did something with his life. He achieved something in this world when he's dead and gone. I still wanted to talk about Andrew Carnegie, but I don't want to live this life and, 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 and die and say, well, look at that guys. I spent 75 years of my life and I, I ate bread for, for 30 years so that I could, you know, pay my bills when I get older. Brand, that is, that is not me, man. I, that is not anything to do with the life that I want to live. Yeah. And, you know, again, it it goes back to perspectives. And when I look at the people who are on social media who teach about investing in the stock market or they teach financial literacy or even some of the things that I do myself, we teach from our personal experiences. And I always tell people it's really up to you to make that decision of whose information you're going to listen to. Does it fit your lifestyle? And and I think after a while, and once people have had more experiences with money and with business, and they may sway a different way, and they'll say, all right, well, this person, you know, they helped me, they were able to help me grasp a certain concept. But now that I'm sort of seeing things, and I'm living, you know, within my money goals and my business goals, now my mindset's shifting just a bit. So I'm not going to follow their information anymore. <laughs> but, you know, when you don't know anything, you know, any information is like amazing. It's like, wait a minute, I didn't know this. But as you start to process additional information, you can start to compare and like, eh, I don't know which is right. Or maybe I'll lean to, I don't want to say, I don't want to say people's names, but maybe I'll lean to this, this other financial person who's super famous and had a TV show. <laughs> I would, I would wrap it up by saying this is it's almost like saying if I put a headline or a mission statement under people who teach this style of philosophy. And I'm only using Dave's name because we just all know him. There's other, many other people in social media, everyone else that, that, that teach the same philosophy. But, but if you understand what they're really teaching is, it's like saying, uh, Dave Ramsey, how to, how to uh, not fail as bad at money. Like that's what they're actually saying. Like, hey, you've already failed at money. You're already in debt. What I wanna show you is how to, hey, let's not fail as bad next time. Like, I'm not here to try to figure out how not to fail. I'm here to try to figure out how to win. And again, these are two different mindsets. These are two different outlooks on life. Not how do I, how do I not fail as bad? What a horrible freaking mindset. I want to talk about how do I win at the highest level? How do I reach my maximum potential? How on this earth that, that whatever you believe, but God put me here, how can I reach my, my God-given potential that I have as a human to make a difference? Not how do I not fail as bad because I've already failed right now? I, I have, I have no, no time for any of that training. It's just a complete negative scarcity loser mindset. You know, I really like your concept and your perspectives, Andrew, and it's been so great chatting. I know we're a little bit over time, but I think this was like really great. And I think the audience is, is really going to love it, but you know, with you, before the show, we talked about some of the things I do. And as, as a financial literacy educator, I've built so many brands over the last few years. One of those is balling on a budget. And I know that phrase has been around for years. It's been around since the 90s. Don't try to guess how old I am. <laughs> when you hear that phrase balling on a budget, what does that mean to you? Balling on a budget? Yes. 
I probably think of um, how to have how to have fun in life, how to have fun in your marriage, how to have fun in your as a parent, child rearing, while not going in in massive debt, paycheck by paycheck type of philosophy. That's what I kind of think of when you say balling on a budget. Balling to me is like having fun, enjoying life, enjoying what's going on, having a ball, and then balling on a budget just means so that you're not going massively in debt just to go take your family to Disney World. Like I'm not a proponent of that. So that's what I kind of think of when you say it. Right. (laughs) I love it. Everyone has their own definition. I love to hear the different thoughts, but that phrase has been around for for many years. And I think most recently I saw Burger King use it in a commercial and I started cracking up laughing because I first heard it in uh, rap songs in the the 90s. But it's been such a good conversation and I would definitely love to have you back one day and hopefully we'll get a chance to meet in person at maybe an upcoming event this year. Maybe the world will open up a bit more, (laughs) but it's been such a great conversation. Do you have any last words for listeners today? Well, uh, first, I'm very grateful you had me on and hopefully I I help um, add some value to anybody listening or, or viewers and if I anybody anything, I would just say, listen, live life to the fullest, man. You're only here for a short time and you're not going to take any of it with you. So play the game wide open, try to win at the biggest level, try to make the biggest difference you can. And you're only here for a short time and it's all over with. There's a final buzzer we're all going to hit one time. And after that, it's, it's over, you know, so live life wide open. Right. And where can listeners find you online? Not just my name. Uh, Andrew Cordell, C-O-R-D-L-E. And you can go to Instagram, follow me there. If you want to DM me, I I DM people all day back and forth. And if you want to go to my website, you can, a lot of my companies or businesses that we own are there. You're more than welcome to check them out. And not really trying to sell anything, but happy for you guys to check it out and look at it and ask me any questions you want. I'm I'm sincerely here to help. Don't forget the podcast. It's available on all platforms. No. So my podcast is actually uh, only on YouTube. Uh, oh, I used to have it on nice. podcast. I used to have it on podcast, but I I shifted because mine is all video based with multiple cameras, and we made it more of a show. And so now mine is 100 on YouTube as a as a long format show that people can watch. All right, so make sure you check out what Andrew is doing. Look at his podcast, and uh, tune in for the next episode. So let us know what you thought. Send us a message, milestonesmotivationandmoney.com or hit us up on Instagram, milestones. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to leave us a review and let us know any ideas you have for a future show topic. And if you really want to show us some love, share this episode with a friend and be sure to join our community online, milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at milestonesmotivationandmoney. Tune in next time.